Yankees fans, did you hit the panic button opening weekend? It's okay if you did. You weren't the only one. We'll debrief the opening series loss to the Blue Jays and look ahead to the Orioles series. Also, number one, why is Giancarlo Stanton getting booed on opening day? And two, why is he already out of the lineup for a game? We'll be joined by two-time World Series champion, former Yankees outfielder, and coach, the great Roy White. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the pinstripe pod from the New York Post. All right, here's a pinstripe pod. Hello and welcome back to the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast with the New York Post. It's Chris Sheeran here with four-time World Series champion Yankees great Jeff Nelson. You could follow me on Twitter at Chris Sheeran, yes, and Nelly at NYNelly43 and Instagram at Jeff.Nelson43. Now that the Yankees have got the season started, we'll have new episodes out on Mondays and Thursdays this week and for the entire season. So make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen so you get notified when a new episode drops, as the kids say. And give us a five-star rating. Write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts, please. You'll hear our producer, Jake Brown, pop in during the show as per usual. We'll be joined later in the show by a former Yankees outfielder and and coach, two-time World Series champ, Roy White. But first and foremost, we welcome in Jeff Nelson. And Nelly, <laughs> the, the panic has started, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not time to jump off the bandwagon. But again, you know, you, you can't make excuses for a lot of guys, too. You know, I just think, I said it when I was doing radio, that when the hitters, I, I think, are not close to what they would be in a normal season because the spring training, I mean, you look at some of these at-bats, you know, maybe 40, 50 at-bats for some of these guys. There wasn't any minor leagues. There wasn't any B games. Their main, if they weren't in the game, they were taking extra batting practice on the backfield against maybe a a guy that was throwing 60 or 70 miles an hour. They weren't hitting off their regular pitchers. Uh, you, You know, a lot of times when they're hitting off their, you know, their own guys, they're doing a timing mechanism and they're not even taking it serious enough to swing. So I think... It might take them a month offensively to start clicking because they just didn't have the at-bats leaving spring training that they usually do. No, uh, that is absolutely correct. And see, I want to bring in my 80s kids here for a second. The movie War Games, the computer in that whopper, it had to learn uh, by playing the tic-tac-toe that no one can win a a nuclear war. And I'm wondering when Yankees fans are going to learn that in the opening series and for the first month, especially the power hitters, it's going to take them a little time to get their legs underneath them and their bats going. One guy who uh, we didn't have to wait for, that was Gary Sanchez. First two games, he's got two home runs. Uh, He went over in the third game that the Yankees played, but it's good for him, Nelly. If you want to start breaking down individual guys, it's good for Sanchez's head, especially his head space that he got those two home runs and he got a little positive mojo going at the plate. Yes. He was outstanding. And out of anyone, maybe besides Giancarlo Stanton, he needed to get off to a fast start and he had a great series against the Blue Jays, regardless of what happened on Sunday. You know, it was nice to see that he had a couple home runs. He's such a mental guy. And you kind of hope that this carries him for a while. And even when he goes into a slump, 
he doesn't start thinking too much, which is really hard for him to do. And, you know, it's great to see at the plate, you know, behind the plate, a little iffy. Uh, made a couple errors, a couple throwing errors, uh, but he did block some balls. He did really look good as far as the balls in the dirt and trying to keep them in front of him at times. But at the plate as a hitter, it was nice to see him get off to a fast start. He needed it. He really had a rough ending to what the last couple weeks of spring training. Well, let's bring up Stanton since you you brought him up, Nelly. And first, the problem I have with fans on opening day booing the guy. I, I, I mean, I get it. You're cold. You paid money for the tickets. I'm not saying fans aren't allowed to boo. Fans are allowed to do whatever they want. They're the ones who bought the tickets. They're the ones sitting their fannies in the seats in 40-degree weather. If they're upset and they want to boo, okay, fine. But on opening day, to me, especially if you're watching at home, that's a bad look. I mean, it just it sounds bad on opening day, especially when the guy, and I know he has more to prove in the postseason, but the guy was a walking home run in the postseason last year. I mean, can we pump the brakes a little bit on opening day with the booing? Yeah, 10,800. I mean, you're going to hear every single one of them, and maybe he can look and, and pick out every single one of them that booed him as well. You know, a full stadium, you know, you might see a few more cheers or a little maybe give the benefit of the doubt a little bit. But it's a disgrace, guys. I, it, I, it is. It is. But it's this, New York. It, I mean, it's what do you expect? I mean, this is this is New York. You know what? This you isn't know, this isn't Baltimore or you know what, Jake, Seattle. This is Jake, New York. We we heard Paul O'Neill and David Cohn during the broadcast too. They said when they played in the minor leagues, they could actually have a conversation because this is kind of like a minor league deal where you have only ten thousand eight hundred people and it's because of COVID, obviously. But they both joked that you know, you could potentially have a conversation with the people that are booing you and the people that are telling you you can't play. Listen, I, I tweeted about this, and here's what a few Yankee fans responded to my tweet, one that, you know, disagreed, that, you know, that she should be able to boo. When you're being paid millions of dollars to play for the greatest sports team in history, you should be performing top oh tier. Oh, my God. It's like a revolving door with this stuff. It's okay, but that, that's day. the way. Since when did, this, did it just start? This has always been this way. I mean, we're going to have Roy White on. We'll ask him. He probably got booed at some point. This isn't, just, this isn't new. I mean, everybody gets booed. New York fans, Yankees. Fans expect 100% out of their players hey, all the time. And it's what? up to the player to realize that you're not going to be 100% all the time. Jake, you know what? The guy that I'm talking to right now and the guy that we have on the show is a four-time World Series champion, leaves the Yankees, not of his own volition. <laughs> he went back to Seattle. And the first time he came back, yes. instead of people giving him a rousing standing ovation, they booed the guy. Oh, yeah. They I mean, everybody. Kelly. I had Tino Martinez, who was on the Yankees at the time. He was on second. Uh, somebody, maybe Bernie Williams was on first, and I came in, I think, to face Jeter. And Lou was handing me the ball, and I had 50,000 fans that were booing me because I left to go to a, an opposing team, Seattle Mariners. They didn't mean, well, I mean, they, they did play. We played them in the playoffs. We played each other in the playoffs. And Lou Lou hands me the ball, and he goes, oh, I see they still love you, son. And, I mean, it's it just, it's you know, it breaks the ice in a lot of ways. But playing here, you had to realize that if they're booing Mariano Rivera and they're booing Bernie Williams and Jeter, you're going to get booed. And if you don't like it, go play somewhere else or quit. It's just this is what it's about. And just laugh at it. Say, hey, you know what? Yeah, I didn't have a great first series. And then, you know, I hear Aaron Boone say, oh, you know what? I'm not going to play him more than five days in a row. 
Well, he played one day in a row, and all of a sudden he has a day off. I understand you had to get your bench players in. It's really hard for an American League you know, manager to get their bench players in, especially when these guys are used to getting consistent at-bats in spring training. I understand that part. But you know, whatever they can do to try to keep them on the field, I would try to keep them on the field. But you ask any hitter, you need consistency. And to play five days and all of a sudden sit one, you know, I, I don't know. That's going to be tough. But do you want him on the field, Shannonelli, or off? Because when he's off the field, you boo that he's off the field. When he's on the field, he gets booed off the field. So it's like this poor – I know Giancarlo is outstanding. Literally not poor. He's making as much money as anyone ever in baseball. But my God. And then also the girl said, a game is game. I don't care if it's game one or game 162. There is a difference. Game one versus game 80. It's New York. I mean, what did they do? They, do they boo the Mets players? Or is it just no, no, the Yankees? Let's just Jason Bay three years in a row sucked. The first game, you know, Francisco Lindor is, there's going to be a gold carpet rolling him out. He's not- <laughs> I've heard people get booed when they got introduced. Yeah, they didn't no. even play the game yet, and they're getting booed. That's only Aaron Hallman after giving up the home run to <laughs> Yadier Molina in Game Seven. Otherwise, we usually don't boo our guys. At all. Jake Jake uh, was talking to me uh, off the air before we started taping Nelly about how he went back to something he did. He hasn't done something uh, Friday since the Hofstra days. If he wants to bring that up, he could. Jaeger, me and Jaeger for the first time, oh, and the gold <laughs> shoes. Yeah, gold shoes. It doesn't take much prodding for Jake to just come out with it. But back when I was uh, at Rowan University down in South Jersey, we're right next to Philly, and I had a best friend down there. He he grew up a Philly fan. I grew up a New York fan. And we have the same mentality. If a guy comes up, it doesn't matter what day it is, if it's opening day, if it's game 80, if it's game 162, if the guy goes 0 for 3, cut him. If the guy comes up in his next at bat, in his fourth at bat, and he hits a home run, you keep him. I mean, it's that love-hate relationship. And Nelly, you're right. Unfortunately, it's just the way it is. The one thing I'll I'll defend Stanton with that. However, playing the first two games with a built-in off day and then having game three, yeah. to me, if I'm if I'm 0 for eight, throw the money out like like the girl tweeted to you, Jake. Throw the money out, throw everything else out the window. You're a baseball player. Doesn't matter what level of baseball player you are. If you start your season 0 for 8, you do not want to be planting your fanny on the bench. You want more at bats. You want to get that first hit out of the way. To me, if that's me, I'm sitting on the bench and I'm screwing myself into it because I I don't know what to do with myself. And I know deep down he's probably the same way. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know what these guys, it's a different game. These guys think differently. They, you know, it's not like, oh, I want to be out on the field. Very few players want to play every single day. You don't see 162 games. You don't see guys play 150, 155. You know, I understand what the Yankees are doing. They want to try to keep this guy as healthy as yeah. possible. They're probably holding their breath every time Aaron Judge and and Giancarlo Stanton run down the baseline, I or think- if Aaron Judge crashes into the wall down the left field line. You know what, Jeff? I think it was more. I I, I don't think it was. Stanton as much as it was uh, getting Judge off of his feet for a day and just letting him DH. I don't really think it had to do with Stanton because you don't want to give Judge an entire day off if he had a built-in day off already. I mean, I, I if it was that, if it was getting Judge out of right field and, and getting Frazier in right and Gardner in left, getting Gardner some at-bats, Aaron Boone has to do that. He's got to yeah. keep a bunch of guys fresh. So, you know, you could look at it the way I overreacted in our text chain <laughs> when I saw the lineup. And I'll cop to it. I'll be honest. But 
after a day or two of thinking, you're just like, yeah, all right, I could see it. Some guys need to get at bats. And unfortunately, Stanton was the odd man out and, and he doesn't get to play that day. But uh, it's a long season. It's 162 games. And the one thing, Nelly, that was positive in coming out of that first weekend against the Blue Jays, it's pretty much your top competition uh, that we talked about all spring training in the American League East. And the pitching came out of that weekend and we had question marks about Kluber. We had question marks about Domingo Herman, Michael King. Domingo Herman gives up two runs all of spring and then comes out and gives up two home runs uh, uh, in that game three against right. the Blue Jays there. But the pitching came out of that weekend, Jeff, with the sixth best ERA out of the 28 teams that played. Sorry, Jake. No, you know, Michael King was outstanding. Six innings, only giving up, giving up one hit. And Herman, the two home runs he gave up were fastballs up in the zone. And, you know, they were just mislocated. And again, it really, that's what spring training doesn't mean anything. You try to get your arm strength and then you come out and you give up three runs. I think the bullpen was outstanding. Now you're going to get Chapman back. Uh, you're going to get him back for the for this series coming up. I think the pitching was great. I Kluber, I, I think, was fair. I don't think he was great. I know there everybody's praising him and saying, oh, what a great job he did. He did get himself out of trouble. There were a lot of sliders, didn't use his fastball much, and I think that's what you're going to see pretty much all year. Uh, he's always been a guy that's really never used his fastball a whole lot. It's always been under 45 to under 40%. I mean, even back in his Cy Young days, he was throwing at 39% and throwing a lot of cutters. Uh, but, you know, if he can stay healthy, again, you're going to see Tyone uh, this series. That's going to be nice to see. You're going to get Montgomery. You're going to get Cole again, and then you're going to get Tyone. I mean, that's going to be nice to see his first start. So I think yeah. the pitching was great. And then you look on the other side, the Blue Jays, their competition, they have a great young team, and they showed how resilient and athletic they are. Pitching is a little question mark for me. They didn't see Robbie Ray because of him falling down the stairs. But this closer they have, oh, my God. But I I just don't think they – right now they don't have enough starting pitching for me to compete with the Yankees. I think once the Yankees get rolling, and like I said, they didn't have a lot at bats leaving spring, uh, you'll give them the benefit of the doubt a little bit as far as, okay, once once maybe two, three weeks into April – uh, you know, obviously the weather warming up, they come from 85 degrees in Florida and then they go up to 40 degrees in New York. And that's the way it's going to be for a little bit. You know, they're going to obviously they're they're still the best team in the American League. I really don't like and we should discuss. I don't like their batting order. I, I just don't know where they go with that. I'm not a big fan of Aaron Hicks hitting hitting third. I never was, even if he would have got off to a great start. How would you fix that, Nelly? What would you do right now to to change the Yankees' order? And the thing of it is, is like, you know, you look at Aaron Judge hitting second. And, okay, analytics say he's better off hitting second. Usually when you have a power hitter hitting second, there's a guy leading off that is a speedster. LeMahieu is not a speedster. He doesn't steal bases. He's one of the best hitters in the American League, or maybe baseball. Um, Do you slide Aaron Judge down? The one thing I did like, you heard Aaron Boone, that he is open to adjusting the lineup as things progress during the season. They hit Aaron Hicks third only because they have to mix up that predominantly right-handed hitting lineup. Everybody off the bench is left-handed when you're talking about Talkman, you're talking about Gardner, and also Wade. Those guys aren't really pinch hitters, not very often. You're not pinch runners more than anything. I just don't know where they go with it. Jay Bruce is probably in a great spot. He's just not getting off to a great start. Got the bloop single. Hey, I'll take it. Two RBIs. But I don't know where they go with it because it's it, you almost go like I, I think I had a couple podcasts ago when we mentioned, you know, the Chicago White Sox back in the day. They were almost all right handed and their lefties. They just said, you know what? 
I don't care. I'm going to hit my weak lefties down down the bottom of the lineup, and I'm going to put my power right-handed guys back-to-back and go get them. And they were still one of the best teams in the American League. I don't know where the Yankees go with it. I just don't see Hicks as a three-hole hitter. Well, we talked about it before we uh, started taping, and I, I like what Frazier's doing at the bottom of the order right now. I, I tend to agree with you in saying that you just leave him there and keep the pressure off him, let him let him get off to a good start of the season. But a couple of his at-bats, Nelly, I mean, he's, he's had nine plate appearances. He's been on base six times and and two of those are walks and the and the one when he was in the nine hole the one uh at bat i saw he worked like an eight pitch walk and it's at the bottom of the lineup and there were two outs i mean this is a tremendous job by a guy who just won his first opening day job in his career with the yankees so maybe if he keeps it going and he's consistent maybe he could be one of those guys in the mix to potentially mix it up and lead him off and maybe you could slide LeMahieu down if he's your best hitter see i'm still under that the analytics still have me how do the kids say it caught in my feelings i mean i i can't get out of the fact that my best hitter has to hit third in a perfect world for me Frazier keeps it going. He's got speed. He's got power. He's got everything. I mean, if he keeps putting together at bats like that, there's no reason why Frazier can't lead off. You drop LeMahieu. If you want to keep Judge at two, fine. But drop LeMahieu to three because to me, in my head, in my brain, in my baseball life, your three hitter is your best hitter. And that's the machine. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you look at Frazier. He's the type of kid, you know, he's got such great confidence in himself. And and I think he can handle any part of the lineup. And if he can con- continue to swing the way he did, I watched him at bats uh, all three games, and he looked really good at the plate. And, and hitting ninth, he looked really good. Obviously, he probably doesn't want to hit ninth. He wants to prove that, hey, I want to be up in the top of the lineup where he thinks he belongs. He thinks he can be an all-star in 2021. You absolutely love that kind of confidence. I think out of anybody, he probably can handle any part of that lineup and, and succeed as long as he keeps swinging the way he does. You know, I was even thinking, you know, Sanchez, the way if he continues to swing well, do you move him up? But I don't know if he can handle that pressure. I think he might be better off at the bottom of the lineup. Yeah, I think keeping the pressure off of him has been good, especially in this opening series. And if his bat comes back around, and as we mentioned, Jeff, I mean, both of us agree, like he gets in his own head and that's basically his problem. But in his defense, you know, being a catcher, your brain never shuts off. You you are constantly thinking, you're constantly captaining the game from behind the plate. And then you got to get beside the plate and, and you have that pressure to produce there too because of what you did. I mean, hitting 20 home runs, ask Kevin Moss. You come up and you hit 20 home runs in 53 games or whatever the hell it was. There's going to be some pressure on you to provide some offensive firepower along the way. Uh, So as for the Yankees coming up, as uh, Nelly mentioned, they got the Orioles next. Uh, We're going to see Montgomery. We're going to see Cole again. We're going to see Tyone, who I'm very, very excited to see Tyone on Wednesday uh, against the Orioles. And then Thursday's an off day. Another one of these episodes will drop. And then Friday through Sunday, the Yankees will have the Rays. But coming up now on the podcast, we talk to a Yankee legend from the 70s. That would be Roy White. Joining us now, two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star. He spent 1965 through 1979 with the Yankees. That's 15 seasons to do the quick math. 
most games in left field in Yankees history, of course. Yankee legend Roy White. Roy, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Uh, the first thing I have to bring up is because uh, Yankee fans right now are starving for a World Series title. It hasn't happened since 2009, and I know there's other teams in the major leagues that have had longer droughts than that, but they are not the New York Yankees, and they don't have the New York Yankees fans. So the first thing I have to ask you is, is about the history that, that you're a part of, Roy. You lose in 1976 to the Big Red Machine. This team with a couple of players on it, they've experienced the agony of defeat. And it seemed like you guys losing that series to the Reds made you even hungrier to go after it in 77 and 78. So let me ask you that. What did that loss do in 76 to propel you guys to 77 and 78? Well, we were all determined uh, to get back in there. Uh, we felt that uh, uh, we didn't uh, show our best team in, in that World Series against the Reds. Uh, we kind of went in with no preparation because we just won in that, uh, that playoff game with Kansas City with Chris Chambliss hitting a home run. And uh, I don't think we came down from that. You know, next day, you know, uh, we had like one workout and we were on the field against the big red machine who had been waiting for us. So, so uh, we didn't think that they might have had a better team than us, but we didn't think that we should have been swept, you know, four straight games. So so we were hungry, really hungry to get back in there. And, uh, and uh, the character makeup of our ball club, you know, we really had some real tough guys uh, Thurman and, and Nettles and, and Lou Pinella and guys like that. So, uh, uh, so we were itching to get back in that in that fall classic again. You know, Roy. You know, you look back on your career and, and even in those years, and uh, you know, you're you're up there with the most consecutive years as a Yankee. You played your whole year, whole career as a Yankee, 15 years, and everyone says the most underrated. Yankee player went out to left field all the time. Uh, 162 games played a couple years. You know you've led the league in walks for a couple years. I mean, your career. You know it's you've flown under the radar, and you're you're just as much as a superstar as any of those Yankee guys. You're being too kind, Nelly. <laughs> no, Roy, I'm looking. I'm all, I've, I've heard stories. No, I, I just wanted to go out there and, and contribute every day and. Uh... The one thing uh, in my career that uh, I think made me last long is I wanted to make myself uh, valuable to my manager. You know, I said, if I can do a lot of different things that make the manager happy, I can stick around a long time. So, uh, uh, you know, working on the, some of the small skills, you know, being able to bunt and hit and run and uh, hit the sacrifice fly and be out there every day and, and catch the ball in left field. Uh, I think that's what kept me around, you know, for those 15 15 seasons. Uh, and the other thing that kept me around is that I refused to go in a trade in 1978. You know, the Yankees did try to trade me uh, to the Oakland A's uh, before the trading deadline. And I had to write a refusal and uh, I turned it down. I didn't want to go to Charlie Finley's team out there on the West Coast <laughs> and play in the Oakland Coliseum with a last place team. So I stayed there and, and uh, ended up in the World Series again in 1978. Uh, again against the Dodgers, my hometown club, because I, I grew up in the Los Angeles area out in Compton, and, and we had a chance to, you know, to beat them again. And uh, very few teams have been able to win those two consecutive titles. It's such a tough thing to do now in baseball. Yeah, there's a game, uh, Roy, that people play. It's called Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. You could name a movie, and then within six uh, six actors, you can put Kevin Bacon and somebody else together. In this case, it's six it's six degrees of Lou Pinella, and you know my co-host and Lou of course Lou managed him with the Seattle Mariners and you played with Lou you mentioned him as being one of these guys who are tough as nails we, we hear stories from Nelly all the time about him being tough as a manager how just how tough 
was Sweet Lou. It's like he had the opposite nickname of what he really was on the field. Sweet oh Lou. God. How tough was he on the field, Roy? Oh, my God. Uh, everybody talks about how bad Paul O'Neill was uh, with his temper. But, uh, <laughs> uh, and he managed him, too, in Cincinnati. <laughs> right. <laughs> Lou probably had the worst temper of all. You know, he just could not take failure. And uh, uh, one of my favorite stories about Lou Pinella was uh, in a particular game where we're playing the Cleveland Indians in a tough ball game, and uh, he got thrown out of the game like in the seventh inning and uh, had to had to leave the game. He was after a, a big argument, you know, with the umpire over a, a strikeout call or something like that. So when the game ended, we went to go back to our clubhouse uh, in in, uh, in the stadium there in Cleveland, and we were in the dark. Lou had knocked out all the lights in the tunnel <laughs> <laughs> leading to the clubhouse. What is that? <laughs> we we so could have a whole was... podcast of stories <laughs> with, with Lou. We're going to try to get him on too because I, you know, I've always told him he's the reason why I had so much success in New York. But it, you talk about failure. He didn't like it as a manager either. His first year in Seattle was '93, and we didn't have a home stadium because the stadium out in Peoria was just being built, and so we had to play all our games on the road. And we weren't a very good team in '93, and he knew it. I mean, he only knew a f- certain amount of guys' names anyway. He knew Griffey, Buner, and Randy Johnson, and Edgar Martinez. Everybody else was son because he didn't know their name. He, would, he refused in there. He's like, okay, son, okay, son. We uh, we were getting our butts kicked. I don't even know if I think we lost like the first ten games of spring training, and we were coming home, and and all of a sudden he saw a high school team play on the field, and they were playing, and he told the bussy to pull over. He said, "Bussy, pull over. Let's see if we can beat these guys. I, I don't know if we can beat anybody else, but we might be able to beat these guys." <laughs> You're right. There's a million stories with uh, with Lou, uh, but. Uh... Really a tough competitor that uh, gets a clutch hit for you. I, I said he could wake up in, in December and, and, and hit a line drive to right field and get a base hit. And, uh, that's the kind of player he was. Everybody thought he was going to be a bad defensive player. He didn't have a good defensive uh, reputation when he came over from Kansas City. But uh, the times that he played, uh, he played a lot of right field for us. Loop uh, did a great job in the outfield. You know, he wasn't a liability at all. Roy, I have to ask you uh, about one of the late, great Yogi Berra's quotes because he said it gets late early out there. And, of course, he was talking about left field in the oh, old God, Yankee yeah. Stadium. And and you were, you were, you're still one of the Yankees who played in that left field at the old Yankee Stadium. So can you put that into context for maybe some younger Yankee fans who really don't know what Yogi meant? Yeah, uh, that's on uh, left field in Yankee Stadium and the old Yankee Stadium uh, at around uh, 2 or 3 o'clock. It was like right dead square and in left field, you know, like any ball that came out there was was going to be in that in that sun. And uh, I used to dread our, you know, Saturday and Sunday day games. The first thing I did when I woke up in the morning was was look outside and hope that it was a little overcast, <laughs> so that it would that it would cut cut the glare. But uh, I was lucky. I, I have to say, I mean, in my 15 years, uh, I only really lost one ball in the sun that uh, you know that I was unable to catch, and uh, I cost uh, Gator uh, Gedry a shutout. You know, I really felt bad about it. But we were playing the Texas Rangers, and Al Oliver Scoop was over there then, and uh, so I'm playing him in, in left field off the line a little bit. But he liked it; he could hit the ball all over, and he hit a slice shot to left where I had to go to my right, and that was right in the direct line with the sun. You know. If I could play it to my left, I had a shot, but I, I had no shot to play it. So I ran and I stuck out my glove where I, I was hoping the ball would end up. And the ball hit me on my left forearm 
<laughs> and, and bounced <laughs> off the wall. And Oliver got a double and drove in a run, and that that was the only run against Gidry. You know, he still won the game, but uh, uh, that was the only ball I, I lost that I wasn't able to catch. And, and most of the time, I, I tried to get my center fielder to help me, like when Mickey Rivers was over. I said, "You take any ball that you get, you know, you know, coming over, because you'll have a better angle sometimes than what I would have." And that would help a lot, you know, having Mickey Rivers out there with all that speed. You know, Roy, earlier you mentioned all you wanted to do is make your manager happy and. and, and go out there and give 100% all the time. What was it like to play for Billy Martin? Yeah, well, you know, it was great, you know, especially when, when Billy first came over because uh, you know, I said, uh, this is great because, you know, Billy likes to play uh, small ball a lot. So the best thing that happened to me now is we had Mickey Rivers that had come over and I had a chance to hit number two behind Mickey Rivers. And I don't know if you know or not, but for like six or seven years, I had to hit the number four spot for the Yankees from uh, 1968 probably until around 73. I was a cleanup guy. And, uh, yeah, man, I'm not definitely not a cleanup hitter. You know, I had a little bit of pop. But uh, for those years, I had to look for pitches like late in the game. It might be middle end where I'd have a shot, you know, to hit the ball on the short porch in the right field. So now we have Mickey Rivers, and it was like, oh, man, this is a blessing. I could hit and run with Mickey, hit behind him. I can bunt and do a lot of different things. So that first year uh, uh, with Billy and, and – uh, managing and Mickey at the top of the lineup, we both scored 100 runs. And I don't think you've seen that too many times where your number one and your two guy are able to score 100 runs. And that's without a guy hitting 40, 50 homers you know, in the cleanup spot or the number three spot. So uh, the other thing, you know, Billy was, Billy was tough to play for because you didn't know what he was going to do all the time. You know, <laughs> you couldn't read him. And, and assume certain things because he might do the opposite. So he was either you loved him or you hated him <laughs> as a manager. You're actually talking about baseball, uh, hit and run, bunt, steal. What, what are those things <laughs> <Yeah>. today? <laughs> I, I, I'm curious. I mean, from from someone from someone who actually played the game of baseball, <laughs> Mr. Roy White. What do you think the way the game is kind of changing into with with analytics and sabermetrics? Do you like where it's going? Do you think it should be used? Do you think it should be used sparingly? I, it seems like it's it's draining the very soul of the game in, in certain situations. Yeah, you know, some of the information is good and, and helpful, but you can't rely 100% on, on analytics because uh, it doesn't tell the true story all the time. So. You know, the way baseball is played now, it's a, it's a home run strikeout game. And uh, I, I think that will evolve back to uh, doing some of the little things again. You know, I think this is just a cycle that we're going through. But uh, I think a lot of teams are gonna, can find out or are finding out that you can't win by just uh, hitting a lot of home runs. You know, that you still have to do uh, some of the little things to win ball games. You know, Roy, you take this, this year's team and, you know, your teams, and it's been said, Throughout spring training and even in the beginning at the Yankees, uh, you don't win championships without left-handed power. You guys had it, Chambliss, Nettles, Reggie Jackson, uh, you know, during our years. They don't have it now. They haven't had it. Well, 2009, the last time they had it, they won the World Series is when they had left-handed power. And, you know, at, at new Yankee Stadium, old Yankee Stadium, they, you know, you need left-handed power. What do you think of this year's team? Yeah, well, you know, uh, the team looks good on paper once again. Uh uh, you know, Stanton's out already uh, with an injury. And uh, that's been one of the big bugaboos for the team over the last three years is uh, is having a healthy team out there. And uh, and that's hurt them. So uh, they've got to stay healthy. Uh, as you said, they still don't have that, that real big left-handed bat in the lineup, which has been 
uh, you know, Yankee history, as you said, has always been a big left-handed hitter in there. Uh, I mean, they even had Matsui, you know, in the, in, the, in those years when they went, they got back into the World Series when when Hideki was there. So, uh, but I think they could win despite that if they can just stay healthy and uh, if they get the pitching. That was the biggest question mark breaking spring training. But when they broke this first series, I mean, they lost the series to the Blue Jays, and you know as be- as 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 good as anyone, Roy, that you just win series. You're, you're not going to go 162 and 0. But but coming out of that coming out of that first series with the Blue Jays, you have to be pleased at where the pitching is right now. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Uh, you know, we just couldn't score runs then. And, uh, you know, the Blue Jays are a team that can hurt you. They've got a lot of good young talent on there, you know, that's been uh, developing over the last couple of years. So they can be a thorn in your side there. But uh, Nelly knows uh, April and May baseball is, is never the true story of how things are going to work out. <laughs> uh, you're, playing in, you're playing in cold weather and a lot of teams that, uh, that don't belong, you know, start off and look like they're world beaters. And uh, uh, when you get to June and July, all of a sudden they start to fade out. And, and the good teams that have, the, you know, the most good players players and quality uh, end up being on top. So uh, I, I don't pay a lot of attention to those games in April a lot of times. You know, people get worried. You know, I think we started off the season one and seven one time, and uh, we went on to uh, to win the pennant and go into the World Series. So Yeah, we won, I think in 98 when we won 125, we were like 0-4, and, and everybody was like wanting to fire right. Joe Torrey. I was like, oh, come on now. You're right. You know, I was like, come You're on. Right. Well, talking about that, I mean, everybody's up in arms that, you know, Giancarlo Stanton got booed on opening day. They say, like, how can you boo him opening day for one i'm like this is new york everybody boos you know you're now exactly. you're hearing it just more because it's only ten thousand fans you know when i first joined the yankees and uh, and, uh you know, i came up at 65 and i came up as a second baseman and uh my idol as a second baseman was bobby richardson you know he was uh, uh the premier second baseman in the american league you know great character great person very religious and uh i I saw Bobby Richardson taken at over four and, and get booed in Yankee Stadium, but I was like, "Are you kidding me? Booing Bobby Richardson, <laughs> that kind of guy." So uh, right then I knew that you know it's going to happen to everybody, no matter how great you are. You know you're going to hear those boos when when you don't perform up to the standards of the of the New York fan, and uh, and that's what makes it one of the toughest places to play in, and a lot of players. Uh, can't come into uh, this arena in New York, play at Yankee Stadium, and get the job done. And you know, I'm happy that I was able to get through 15 seasons uh, as a New York Yankee. And I think that's probably one of the things that I'm most proud of that uh, that I played for one team, and that was the Yankees of you know of all teams. And uh, so I think that's my my major thing that I'm proud of. Well, Roy, it's Jake here. I'm proud that you threw me a ball at Shea Stadium once at a Mets Yankees game. The, I go. To, I go to. The, I'm a Mets fan. I go to 30 to 40 games a year. I think it's still the only ball I've gotten at a game. I was a kid. You, I was sitting behind the Yankee dugout. It was a foul ball. You threw it up to the stands to some kid who was uh, probably still fat and overweight at the time, and I caught it. And uh, I'll always remember you for that. But speaking of, you're talking about those, you know, booing and losing years. You guys went a decade without making the playoffs when you first started with the Yankees. Was there something that immediately, obviously the team got better and, you know, things turned around, but what what click switched? What made the Yankees, you know, you guys had a couple of years, you won 90 games, but you didn't make the playoffs for the first decade of your career. What what flip switched to turn you guys into, into champions? Yeah, you know, that was uh, not anticipated by me, you know, because uh, as, as a rookie, you know, when I signed with the Yankees and going into minor leagues, you know, I was thinking, man, when I get up to the Yankees, I'm going to be in the World Series every year. You know, because that's what I grew up with, watching the Yankees every uh, October in the World 
Series. You know, so I get there, and, and it takes 11 years for us to get to the World Series. And and what had happened is was when I joined the Yankees in 1965, uh, all the big names were still there. You know, it was Mantle and Maris and Elson Howard and Whitey Ford. But nobody realized that they were on the downside of their careers all at the same time. So uh, from 65 up until uh, 69, 70, you know, we just had a lot of different players coming in. They were, you know, they were making some trades, but we were getting guys, a lot of guys that were at the you know, end of their careers were coming up to the Yankees, and, and we didn't have a lot of help. So I think the big thing is uh, when Steinbrenner came in, actually, and, and Gabe Paul came in, and uh, George was, uh, uh, he, he wanted to have a winner in New York again. So he spent money. You know, he made sure that we were going to start getting good players, and, and Gabe Paul started making deals you know, turned around our club. Uh, deals like getting Greg Nettles from the Cleveland Indians, getting uh, Chris Chambliss coming over, Eddie Figueroa, uh, and then having some young talent come up like uh, Thurman Munson and Bobby Mercer, Fritz Peterson, you know, in those early years. So uh, that, that was the turning point then, you know. So, so from 19, I would say, yes, from the 19, starting in 1970, we started to get better and better. 74, we made a big run. We had to lead going into the last couple of weeks of the season. The Orioles came in and swept us and took a one-game lead. And that one-game lead went all the way until the uh, final two games of the season. We dropped the game to Milwaukee, and, uh, and that clinched it for the Orioles. And uh, there was no wild card in those days. We would have been in there. But, but it came close that year. Then we thought we were going to be good in 75. We got Bobby Bond came over from the, uh, from the Giants. And uh, so everybody thought that we were really going to be good in 75, and it, and it Turned out we, we played worse in 75 than we did in 74. And then 76 when, the, you know, Billy came in and we got uh, Eddie Figueroa came over and we got Mickey Rivers and Willie Randolph. Don't forget Willie. So uh, then we really had the makings of a good club. And uh, that was a big turning point. You know, we started playing great baseball then. I will never forget Willie Randolph. He was my favorite player growing up. And uh, I rem- I still remember Delwood Milk Helmet Day at the stadium. I, <laughs> my, my parents didn't have the money to buy me numbers for the back of my helmet. So I put a 30 in masking tape on the back of my helmet for, for Willie. And, and 1973, 1973, Roy George Steinbrenner uh, buys the Yankees and Chris Sheeran enters the world. So uh, it was a hand in hand. Uh, greatness came out in 1973. <laughs> of course, I'm being facetious. But uh, in, in 2002, uh, you established the Roy White Foundation. We need to talk about this for a little bit because it's been rough on you all with COVID and, and some of your events have been getting canceled. But it's a charity aimed to help children and young adults in the New York area who would like to attend college but don't have the financial resources to do so. So please tell us if, if there's a website people could go to to help you out until you can get some events going again with with COVID dying down hopefully uh, and just tell us a little bit about the foundation and where you're at right now. Yeah it's RoyWhiteFoundation.org you know we would accept any you know donations if anybody wanted to mail in anything to our foundation but uh, when, when I first started the foundation I had a good friend that I, that I did a lot of work for and he's the one that gave me the idea he says uh, Roy you ought to uh, you should start a foundation you know they have a you have a way to give back you know 
for all the time that you've been in the big leagues and what would be uh what would be your goal or what would be the purpose of the foundation you know think of something and uh you know in thinking about it i was a guy that when i was in in high school i loved to read and uh, that's how i got you know really interested in baseball was through a lot of reading you know and reading about uh you know reading the sporting news and reading sport magazine and reading a lot about the big league ball players and uh i thought going to college was very important you know would be the best thing for me to get involved in so uh, we decided that our mission would be to help kids go to college and giving them some financial aid so so we started the foundation uh, i don't even know what year that was now that <laughs> but we've had the foundation has been uh, going for about i guess 12 15 years now so uh but anyway uh you know that's been the purpose but not only have we helped uh, in, in the uh, education area but we've given to uh, the food outreach program uh, in westchester we've bought uh, baseball and sports equipment uh, to some of the disabled uh leagues where disabled kids play or disabled people so uh we've contributed to a lot of different causes we've had some golf tournaments in the past yeah i'm not ashamed to say that i needed help too to go to college so uh if there's anything and and i truly mean this if there's anything you need ever uh just all you have to do is reach out i will help for sure i appreciate that that's that's good news we can sure use it. <laughs> well, I'm I'm here whenever you need me, and I'm sure my partner Nelly will will oh, be yeah, absolutely. will be there arm in arm if you ever needed any help with anything, Roy. And and we appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us here in the morning. Uh, Two time World Series champion with the New York Yankee. Uh, Yankees, a Yankees legend. Even if he doesn't want to admit it, he is in my eyes. <laughs> Roy White, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. All right, great talking baseball with you guys. I enjoyed it, man. That says goodnight to episode 41, the Brian Bowringer edition of the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Brian Mungia for producing the show. Give Pinstripe Pod a five-star rating and write in a nice review, if you will, on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate the support. For Jeff Nelson, I'm Chris Sheeran. Enjoy the Yankees and Orioles this week, and we'll talk again on Thursday. Thanks for listening, folks.